0: Welcome to the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. I'm your host Josiah. You join us for part three of our season finale, wrapping up this first season. In part one, we sat down with my co-host Ryan Fasani and discussed all things Broad Kingdom imagination. In part two, we sat down with Brian Wardlaw and talked about what it meant to be known by a benevolent orthodoxy. And today, we share with you part three of our season finale of the Gorilla Pastors Podcast, in which we talk about celebrating a diverse praxis. So journey with us as we discern what ministry can look like, the unique ways faith communities can gather, and what it is we hope the church is known for, right here on the Gorilla Pastors Podcast.
1: I noticed was that Christians could not
2: have conversation with each other if they disagreed with one another.
1: It's all about entering in to the textured presence of lived lives. And so the, the sanitation of it just broke for me. Like, church can't be sanitized. I always feel like I'm not what people think of when they think of a pastor.
0: I went to school for youth ministry and have now figured out how to do like construction work. It's good good stuff.
2: The church is struggling and declining in ways that we've never experienced in the United States and Canada right now. We have to like allow ourselves to embrace new ways of being in a place.
1: Insurgent revolutions, i.e. guerrilla warfare, is 20% bullets and 80% blessing the people
2: how do we be eternally faithful like literally like how do we be faithful in a way today that in 20 years people aren't going he was evil why are we so afraid we believe that god is at work in all places in all people at all times that is amazing and that should give us hope
0: we are the Gorilla Pastors, join us as we explore a world of ministry founded on subversive presence. At this point, if you listen to part 1 and 2, then you know the drill. My co-hosts and I are sitting around a table discussing these tenets for what we think Gorilla Ministry should be focused on, what it should embody. And since these tenets aren't set in stone, we are continuing to discern what they mean and what we think they look like put into practice, as our hope is simply to enrich the life of the Church. Now today's episode is on diverse praxis, and as we have already sat down with my co-host to discuss with them what the tenants they were assigned meant to them, it may come as no surprise that I am on the hot seat for this discussion. Join us as we continue to discern what it looks like to be guerrilla pastors, living out ministry founded on subversive presence, with a conversation on diverse praxis.
1: Yeah, Josiah, diversity is a popular term that everyone is sort of growing in familiarity with, but praxis is a bit of a code word. Why don't you, just for the sake of our audience understanding the basics of diverse practice, just define what those terms mean first, and then give us a short description on what it means um, for ministry,
0: practically speaking. Sure. For me, it's uh, I I like to go to what the sort of antithesis, the opposite of it is. So uh, one size fits all would be the opposite for me of diverse. And we've talked about it throughout the podcast as we sort of have developed these ideas and helping ourselves even understand better along with our listeners what they mean. But Diverse means that not every pastor um, so in ministry, not every pastor is is going to do the same thing, namely, not every pastor will will have their pinnacle of ministry expression be preparing a sermon for a Sunday morning and so that lends itself also to just the praxis side of it. so praxis is just just the to I define it as the practice of being a pastor, the practice of doing ministry, which again is Defined through the lens of what you think pastors are or what they should be doing so praxis can take on a, a lot of different uh, i don't know lenses or frameworks but for our purposes for what i how i would define it praxis is simply that which you're doing that is living out your calling based on some of your spiritual giftings and skills and it might not look like the classic archetype uh, mold of preaching on a sunday morning um how you do pastoral care and counseling, how you do ministry, how you do, you know, all the, the, all the words we have heard throughout our lifetimes, evangelism, discipleship, et cetera. Those are all questions of praxis for me.
2: Yeah, I think the question I would push into with diverse praxis is, um, why is it needed?
0: No, there's that, that's a long answer. Um, <clears throat> I I've shared the metaphor numerous times. I won't go into depth about about uh, the metaphor itself, but I always go back to the idea of a patient in a hospital room, and that's because my wife's a nurse. And for the 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 pinnacle of patient care, for the best patient care, you need a bunch of different specialized medical professionals to address specific body systems. So you need respiratory, you need nutrition, you need someone running MRI, you need a doctor, you need a nurse, you need et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In the same way, if we limit pastoring to simply the person that preaches a sermon, then you get into the question of, is that actually the best way to convey information, to teach, to disciple, to do spiritual formation? And for me, the answer is no. So naturally, that, that gets into the conversation of what does it look like to do discipleship better, to do things like fellowship evangelism, all the isms that we have attached to Christendom, Christianese, Christian-speak. Uh, for that reason, you have to kind of unpack what is best for spiritual formation for a a, div- a a diverse people group who don't even understand what the point of sitting in a pew for 30 minutes listening to someone lecture is you know instead they might want to sit down in a living room or in a coffee shop they might want to uh, listen to a bunch of different sermons on podcasts and then talk with their friends about it there's just a there's just a plethora of ways for me um to, to go about pastoring that we haven't even begun to explore. And it's both for the sake of the one being pastored, but also for the one doing the pastoring, because not every pastor has those you know, skills that are the, the normative skills in our minds for what it looks like to preach. And I would say that that's me too. Part of this is my own discernment of my own giftings, graces, that I'm not actually the pastor that should preach every Sunday morning because of, of the way that I am wired, that there are natural shepherd teacher types and those are the ones that we often place in those positions, but that, that's not me. So if you force me into that sort of a mold, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be disappointing people. I'm not gonna meet expectations and I'm also not going to feel very fulfilled in that role either because it doesn't lend itself to the way I believe I've been created to do ministry, to be a pastor.
2: One thing I'm hearing in you is, and I just want to clarify, clarify it and then say, clarify the why and the who, I think. But what I'm hearing in you is that uh, diverse praxis is not saying to the pastor out there that they need to do more.
0: No, and, and I would even double down on it. It's, it's also not saying, get rid of the Sunday morning preacher. Um, it's not even a devaluation of that. I, as we've tried to share on this podcast in this exploration of what the what ministry might look like uh, if we're unafraid of these conversations, it actually could help the pastor that is the preacher in a traditional congregation on a Sunday morning take less on because they don't have to be all of the things to every person, which is just kind of an unrealistic expectation, but one that I personally have heard people Communicate to me as their actual expectation for a pastor of a church. Um, so when you're the only pastor and you're expected to be all of the things to everyone, and you're not actually gifted or, or skilled in that, or you don't just don't even want to do that, it creates a, a difficult scenario for you to minister within. So no, I don't. I don't uh, want it to sound like we're expecting pastors to do more. If anything, we're we're trying to. Communicate to pastor I'm trying to communicate to pastors to discern what it is they're actually gifted and graced to do, and and just do that, and then in conjunction, partner with those that are gifted and, and graced in ways they are not, which would create something that we could celebrate in this diverse practice tenet.
1: Um, another thing I'm hearing you say, Josiah, is that diverse practice goes both ways. It's both a uh, t- uh, an affirmation of the creative diversity of how to do ministry, but it's also an uh, an acknowledgement of the creative and unique wiring of those doing the ministry. And so I had a question as it related to that, and that is how has doing, as you've said, one-size-fits-all ministry negatively affected those called into vocational
0: ministry that you've witnessed? I've witnessed a lot of what people would call imposter syndrome, uh, where they just don't feel like they are, frankly, worthy to even do it. And I, I would speculate that a lot of that stems from feeling like they they just aren't gifted or skilled in in the one-size-fits-all mold of ministry. And that's really unfortunate, because if you struggle with something like imposter syndrome, or you feel like you don't measure up, or you weakly feel like you are disappointing people, and and not meeting expectations, then how does that not ultimately lead to some form of burnout, uh, you know, or at minimum depression and anxiety and stress at, at feeling that there is this pressure to, to perform, to offer up that which is expected of you, but never quite feeling like you're capable of doing that. I think it 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 goes both ways too it's not just from the, the the pastoral side of things I think the the congregant the listener there's been maybe a cultural expectation of this is how we do it and and folks just sort of quietly grind through it even if it's not their learning style and I would just use the example of my wife and I um I can listen to an audiobook and gain more from it than sitting and reading but she can't like she's not an auditory learner she has to see the words on the page and so it just just from the sake of spiritual formation, discipleship as well, I mean, there's plenty of study and research out there that shows why, why we might need different educational approaches and styles. Uh, if the end goal is trying to do something basic, like teach folks what the gospel is and how to apply it in their lives, it's something to take into consideration, uh, Both ju- not just from the pastoral side of things, but also from the one being pastored. So it sounds like, The one of the two of the um,
1: measurements of effectiveness, or maybe if you will, the good of diverse practice is a, and these are both uh, uncommon, I would say, are a the health and well being of the pastor or the one doing ministry. I mean, you don't need to be called to pastoral ministry for diverse practice to positively influence your well being. And secondarily, it takes into account the different learning styles of its audience, yeah,
0: congregation, community, whatever. Would Absolutely. you say that's accurate? Absolutely. And I would give you an example of how I would have seen that play out as a lead pastor of a traditional Sunday morning church, despite the tension I felt and, and not really meeting all of the expectations or feeling fulfilled or Fitting into that mold. Um, on one hand, you can preach on a Sunday morning and you just feel terrible afterwards because you think you didn't do it right. Or you're wondering who's going to email you on Monday or you're going to, you know, yada, yada, yada. But what can actually happen that might even be worse is no one says a single word to you about it. No one even talks to you about it. You don't know if it did anything. And there might even take it a step further, there might even be people in the sanctuary that morning that you don't even know the names of and you don't even have a chance to meet or talk to because the more pressing issues of the Sunday morning take over the moment you're off the stage or you know in my case you're the only pastor so you're trying to do like too many things within a one and a half hour window of time Um, on the other hand there were opportunities that some took up that I I just I felt so I don't know affirmed or fulfilled in where I would say something. In a sermon that led to a conversation adjacent to the sermon that led to an actual honest discussion, where, where possibly a theme or something we were talking about on a Sunday morning was then further discussed one on one over coffee, you know, in a garage. I can clearly remember sitting in my garage while wrenching on a car, having a very deeply theological, spiritually formative conversation with a person. And I felt so much more, uh, at home and in my pastoral body, I guess is how I would say. I felt like I was actually being a good pastor, more so than I, I felt if you would have asked me immediately after preaching that Sunday. There's something so much more honest, so much more authentic, um, so much more getting closest to I, I don't know, to to the heart of what I was built to do in a garage talking about the book of Revelation with a congregant that had some questions about what they grew up being taught as opposed to what I was talking about on a Sunday morning, then just, Hey, this is the sermon. Hopefully you beat the Baptists to the lunch places. I'll let you out early. (laughs) Just it, it felt right. It felt like what I was made to do. So
2: can you, um, I think, I mean, I know the answer to this, but um, I think so many times what we, if if you imagine a funnel um, and we talk about diverse praxis, we have thought about the local church as the narrow part of the funnel that all of praxis have to go through the local church uh speak into a little bit what does it look like for diverse praxis um to not be filtered through the local church uh
0: i mean i think it it I would I would call back to one of the answers we got from a Sunday morning traditional pastor, sadly, uh, where I I kind of asked him. I said, "We there are some issues with the, with the paradigm as it is the institutional norm, which is what you're talking about this funnel, right?" And uh, I said, "What what do we do about that?" And I think what I was kind of trying to get from him was how can institution not be that way? And what he said was, "You got to just do it in spite of." Um, and so. It's a delicate balance because on one hand, there's the tension for me and maybe for both of you to maintain some level of uh, healthy relationship officially with our denomination to be credentialed, to be pastored. We have a license. We have all these things that we have to, you know, take into consideration. But on the other hand, f- again, I'll just speak for myself. Um, pushing that as far as it can go without jeopardizing it seems to be where I'm taking it, and, and that's not like a pushing the theology of it, but just pushing the praxis of it, like what actually can pastoring look like, and so I would say there's this safety and accountability of I'm still on staff at, at, that, at that local level where the funnel might get narrow, but because of relationship, because of lots of discernment, because of lots of discussion, those that I'm accountable to have given me a metaphorically long leash to explore what ministry looks like, particularly in the context I'm within. Um, so I don't know, that's just one very simple way. We've, we've shared a couple stories of how other folks are pushing that as well, trying to explore what it looks like to even take what is the traditional Sunday morning and explore that. But then, you know, there's those that are exploring outside of Sunday morning. So there's a couple different, different ways you could approach that, I suppose. But I think that to really answer your question, that's honestly part of what this, this endeavor is about that this podcast is trying to explore what that looks like, that this is a, a discernment endeavor to explore what are people doing? Can we call that pastoring? Can we call that ministry? Why, why would some people say no? Why would others say yes? So I, I think we're still on a journey to explore what that looks like personally.
2: So what I'm hearing is what we're doing is naming um, not necessarily a right or wrong, but naming a tension between a diverse praxis and what that could look like in a person of faith. Um, and the tension is when that comes up against the narrowness of of what it looks like through the, an institution. Would you? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That, yeah. Sure. I'm good with that.
1: And, and because that's the case, the, this, Journey. This enterprise called, you know, the Gorilla Pastor podcast is really a Gorilla Pastor exploration in the possibilities of that tension, or the possibilities within and acknowledging that that t- tension exists. Just, just a fun little thought experiment, and to put you on the hot seat, Josiah. Can you give us one wild example? Of something that fits within a diversity of praxis that we would affirm and celebrate and give praise for that would otherwise fall outside of the bottleneck or the funnel of a traditional church ministry, uh, yeah,
0: there's a couple. I, I don't know. I don't I, it's, I worry about the permission of sharing someone else's story without asking first. but, but yeah, there I could give you examples that are vague enough that maybe I could get away with it. I mean, do you want like an actual example? Is that what you're looking for? I, I mean, I don't I don't need names or locations. I, I I
1: just want this to be less ethereal, right? Like what like give me so people so our listeners can have an image in their head like, "Oh, that thing actually is within is inside how this tenant that they're calling diverse practice, praxis. I get it, right? Like it it'll breathe a little bit of like some Pragmatic air
0: into you know what's sort of stuffy in our heads, maybe. So there's a theme I would say amongst those that I would consider to be exploring guerrilla ministry, guerrilla pastoring, whether they would say it or not. You know, one of the examples is is Amanda wanting to talk to to Sunday morning crowds about <laughs> human trafficking, sexual assault, and how it's in the Bible and how it's a touchstone for us to to explore that and maybe be better at at caring about it and and be better advocates. But there's even more of that that I see um, in my little network of friends on social media or folks I've talked to, people I've had on on another podcast. Um, and so just, I guess I'll give a couple brief examples. One, it, it, some of these have ended poorly with, with the institution. So that's why it's a little bit hard to, to share some of them, but I'll, I'll just vaguely briefly share some of them. Some, uh, the pastoral conviction was to those it's always someone marginalized as a marginalized people group and i think therein lies some of the tension is why that group of people um some of them have reached out to sex work sex workers uh strippers um those that make money from things that we would find uncomfortable to talk about in the sanctuary on a sunday morning Uh, but they they've taken it it's not just that it's also you know methadone clinics dealing with drug abuse um but simply offering Some sort of hope to say, hey, you know, you're you're still created in the image of God. You are an image bearer of the Most High God. And just exploring some of that and some of those contexts is radical for for many. And for me, I'm just like, yeah, that's something. Like, what does that look like? Unfortunately, though, that's a thing that like you know is maybe even too far to talk about on a Sunday morning as an example of what what subversive presence can look like. Going to a place like that. Another, I would say. Is is uh it's ever present, but there's plenty of folks doing interesting work in homeless communities. Um, but a lot of it also has to do with substance abuse, has to do with um, you know, a lot of cyclical issues that again, we sometimes would rather just turn a blind eye to. I've had a number of folks I've talked to that uh are specifically wanting to address racial injustice. I've had folks that want to address um. Uh, issues of, 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 I guess, a lack of a robust theology concerning disabilities. Um, th- there are just folks that are doing work that it doesn't really nicely fit into the Sunday morning sermon or the Sunday morning expression of a church, but I consider them uh, inspirational pastors who are putting their neck out there and, and not always being, you know, rewarded as a result necessarily by the institution. But they're doing work that is uh, crucial to actually celebrating a diverse practice. Because I think that's that's it in a, in its essence. What we offer on a Sunday morning is for just a very small segment of the population. And uh, there's plenty in the population, in in the cities, in the places we live in that would not feel welcome, would not feel invited, would not feel accepted in those spheres. So yeah, I don't know. There's There's a whole lot of other vague examples I could probably give, but does that does that answer your question?
1: Yeah, it does. I, I have one more question. I don't, I don't want to steal the, the closing minutes here. Brian, did you have something else? Okay. Um, I, yeah, I appreciate those examples, um, particularly because um, it's kind of a growing list of uh, people, individuals, and groups that are venturing into taboo terrain, right? Like very uncomfortable environments for kind of a a very prude historically like a prude evangelical tradition right Mm -hmm. um and so they're diverse and and also uh, in your terms radical because they're pushing a kind of metaphorical envelope into areas of discomfort uncomfort um and that's really really cool i'm also interested in the diversity of of uh, form, and the diversity of imagination. So do we know, do you know, Do Brian, do you know, or, or can we drum up an example or two of people that are pushing an envelope, not so much into terrains that, into topics and terrain that is, you know, kind of makes us nervous and more rethinking the shape, restrictive shape and function of what we're calling the Sunday sermon experience or the, you know, the institutional church that gathers around, you know, the sermon moment. Does that make sense? Like I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, the diversity is diverse all the way through. It's not just a diversity in topics and you count only as diverse if you're willing to, you know, to touch on topics that have otherwise been, you know, we've been silent about diversity is also the diversity of, you know, how how we gather the diversity in, what we do when we gather, the diversity in who has the power and the authority to make decisions and the diversity in how we organize our gathering and, 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 and so on and so forth. So I'm wondering if just for the sake of the audience, we can give an, an example or two of different types of diversity in that way.
2: Yeah. When I So as far as changing, I, I, think, I think the big change for me, it would be would be pastors, the local church beginning. this is a long this is a long-term change. Uh, but so that the diversity of praxis that we name would be uh, the mission of Josiah's wife being a, I mean being a nurse. that. Ryan, you, club coaching. Okay, uh, in a in a local soccer club, uh, Regina being a parent in a local co op, my wife's preschool, um, and so we and we start to name those things, and we actually and don't try to run everything through, and we could go on and on and on. Basically, uh, the priesthood of all believers, but but and it doesn't it it, it minimizes the role of the local church, if you will but it actually but on the flip side it maximizes it (laughs) uh and so i when when i go into it it's not the local church doing more it's not the local pastor doing more but in a broad sense of it it is the local church doing more because the people within the church are actually start to see every part of their lives as as a reflection of got in them and through them and, and that's that that is discussed throughout the other tenants right <laughs> so we don't want to jump too far but this is where the blending of the tenants call comes together uh so that's that's the only th- place that i i think i'd go with that um uh, do you have an idea ryan of of other examples
1: yeah i mean i, I someone comes to mind locally um a, a pretty close friend of mine that Left the traditional pastorate to start another church. And while they're not delving, I would consider him theologically conservative, right? So this is not like pushing some kind of like orthodox limit or like expanding, you know, where we're where we're drawing the lines about what's in and out of acceptable theology. It's not that at all. But practically speaking, he's literally starting a mobile pizza oven that will you know, financially support itself as a, as a income generating enterprise. And he doesn't mince words. He's like, on paper, I'm starting a business. In practice, I'm building a community and starting a church, right? So the definition of diversity in terms of practice also means the way we gather, how we manage our finances, who we consider a pastor. I mean, think about that. Where he's gonna have flour covering his, his whole chest, and he's going to be tossing pizza dough and putting pepperoni on it as acts of, as a sacramental practice. Like, right, he's not just tossing pizza, like he's flattening out the very body of Christ and sharing that with his, you know, communing with, with, his, with his body. And it will look literally look nothing like a liturgical experience anybody has. And so, like, that's also diversity of praxis, right? And, and we could keep going, right? Like, how are we reimagining the diversity of what our boards look like and how decision making is, is done, right? I mean, I know a small church, that's the reason that they're gathering in a house is because they value a different style of decision making. Like, whoever talks about that, that doesn't make for a really cool chapter in a new sexy book on ministry. We want consensus to be at one of our highest priorities because we value that much the the uh, strong opinions and convictions of our children. So it's a small church, three families. There's like eight kids. They don't make any decisions until everybody's in consensus. Like, wow, that's also a sense of that's also part of diversity, right? And these are all just kind of different expressions of how we're that de- we affirm the diversity of praxis.
0: You may have noticed that as Ryan put me on the hot spot, I was nervous to answer. That was simply because I don't have permission to tell other people's stories. However, I'm excited to share with you that this is what season two will be all about. Our intention is to both name the shift in ministry that is taking place as metaphorical tour guides along this journey with you, while also platforming stories of those who understand not only the shift taking place, but are stepping boldly into this unknown space, being guerrilla pastors with ministries founded on subversive presence. And while we wrap up season one, we would also like to make mention of the guests we have already had and you, the listener, who has continued on this journey with us. We would like to thank both for making this podcast possible. This concludes season one of the Guerrilla Pastors Podcast. I've been your host, Josiah. Thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned for Season 2.